the word of God. Remember your leaders. That, that word remember there has the idea of you on purpose, intentionally, call to mind, bring back to your memory. It's not a, oh, I happened to remember something from a long time ago. It's, no, you're responsible to bring into your memory, to call to mind what you've been taught by your leaders. Choose to remember. Who are some of the good Christian leaders that have influenced you? Choose to remember. We're not good at remembering, are we? We're not good at thinking about anyone or anything other than ourselves. This has always been the case. But brothers and sisters, let's remember. Let's remember what Matt and Will have already spoken to us through the years. And as they continue to speak to us, let's on purpose call to mind. No one, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. Let's remember. Remember intentionally their, uh, their words to us from the Word of God. Number two, imitate thoughtfully. I don't know if you've got these points on, on, the, on the PowerPoint or not. Number two, we're to imitate thoughtfully. Look again in verse 7. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You ever played follow the leader? Right, you play follow the leader. You play this a lot as a kid. Right? One person gets to be the leader, and if they walk swinging their arm, then you walk swinging their arm. And if they squat down, you squat down, and you just do what the person in front of you does. This is actually a little different than that. It actually doesn't say imitate what they do. What does it say to imitate? This is where it's important for us to get our eyes on the verse and see what is it that we're being called to imitate. Imitate thoughtfully what? What does it say to imitate? Their faith. Pay attention to their way of life. Look, consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider it doesn't even say consider the way they live. It says consider the outcome of their way of life. So here's what we do. We look at Matt. We look at Will. And we go, okay, what's, what's the end? Where's that line of living going to lead them? Consider the outcome of their way of life. How are they loving their wives? How are they loving their kids? How are they teaching at liberty? What's the outcome of the way of, of, the, of the way of life that they're living? Oh, there's good fruit at the end of that. They're, they're living their life with their wife in such a way that it's a model for me to look at and go, um, that's going to benefit, that's going to reap a reward. That's going to mean a healthier, happier marriage for me. I'm considering their way of life, and now I'm going to imitate their faith in God to live that way. Imitate thoughtfully, pay attention. How do they live as a Christian and as a husband and as a father and as a cowboy and as a farmer? Think about the outcome of their way of life. To what end will their way of life take me? Well, it may take me to a happy marriage. It may take me to a happy home. I'll have integrity in my business. I'll be blessed in my business. Maybe, 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 maybe. But most importantly, now, and when we consider the outcome of their way of life, we, we usually think in the short range, in the 20, 30, 40-year range. Think about 500 years from now. What's the outcome of their way of life? What's the outcome of their faith? 400 years from now, what will that result in? Your eternity with Christ, your children's eternity with Christ, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, Consider the long-range outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith 
It doesn't say imitate their habits or their standards or their traditions. It says imitate their faith. Trust their God like they trust God. Congregation at Liberty Baptist Church, church, you are to imitate their faith, to consider their way of life and imitate their faith and imitate thoughtfully. And then number three under this second point is to obey submissively. Obey submissively. Oh, I just used the S word. Submissively. And you hate it just like I hate it. Brothers and sisters, the pastors at Liberty Baptist Church will rule by God's grace for God and not for themselves. We live in a place where we naturally abhor this. And I don't know that it's any different in any other culture anywhere else in the world, but no one wants to be told to submit, to listen carefully to the authority that God has placed in their life and to listen if if their words are coming from God and to realize they're speaking God's words into my life and I must submit. They're 20 years younger than me. It doesn't matter. We live in America. We are independent Americans. We are independent Baptists. This is an independent Baptist church. We don't submit to any organizational oversight. Obedience and submission are looked at like horribly negative things. But did you know that obedience and submission are not horribly negative things? It appears that way because of the abuse of them throughout the world. But brothers and sisters, do you know that Jesus himself submitted himself to the will of the Father and said, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus submitted himself and obeyed the Father. This, he's not asking us to do something that he himself hasn't already done. When we think of submission, we think of the horrible abuse of women on the part of men or something, something that's, that's horribly disfigured, the beauty of obedience and submission Do you realize that everything that God gives us, he gives to us for our flourishing, for our good? Church, obey and submit. And remember that obedience and submission are tested when we don't agree, not when we do agree. I've used this illustration before. If I tell you go home and eat ice cream, you'll be like, okay. You know, you're not thinking we have to submit to Jeremy and go home and eat ice cream. Now, I have no biblical want to tell you to eat ice cream, but you know what I'm saying, right? When, when you already agree with what the authority figure is saying, it's no trouble. It's when I say go home and eat your carrots and skip dessert that you're like, whoa, 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 hold, you know, hold on. Who's he to tell me you know, how I'm supposed to handle my diet? Well, As pastors speak the word of God into your life, your obedience and submission are being tested in that your obedience and submission is ultimately to God, not even to that pastor. Pastors aren't asking for obedience to their own tradition or to their own standards, but to those of God. And and look at the result of all of this. Verse 17, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I love the fact that the author of the book of Hebrews uses the word groaning. You ever get an order from your boss, and you think, oh, 
right? You're, you're groan. We all know what it's like to groan. Oh, my parents are making me do, oh, man. What this passage of Scripture is teaching, church, is as you live wisely under the, uh, um, under the commands of God, and as you live wisely under the pastoral authority of your pastors, you can actually live under them in a way that brings your pastors joy and keeps them from groaning. And I will say that overwhelmingly, as the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church, this has been my experience here. A couple of you make me groan occasionally. I'll tell you who it is. No, I'm kidding. Overwhelmingly, it is a joy and not a groaning thing. Church, it should be your goal to live under pastoral, pastoral authority in such a way that it brings your pastors joy that they're your pastor. You already know what it is to seek the joy of someone else. There are people in your life who, for whom it is your goal to bring them joy. And if you are a grandparent, you know this experience. You exist for the joy often of your grandchildren. Oh, I'm going to do this special thing for them. I'm going to make this special meal for them. I'm going to, my grandparents fed me so much that I threw up on vacation. They got, went overboard. I went overboard as well. This is when I was like eight or nine, not like last week. You know what it's like to seek the joy of someone else when you seek to please your spouse or your boss or your child or your grandchild. And in doing this, here's what's happening. You are also seeking your own good and your own joy. Because look, verse 17 says, that would be of no advantage to you. So if you live under pastoral authority in a way that doesn't bring the pastor's joy, that means it's no advantage for you. But if you do live under pastoral authority in such a way that brings those pastors joy, it is an advantage for you. It's to your advantage. It's a good thing for you to live under pastoral authority in such a way that brings your pastor's joy because it brings you good. So you trace that line of thought all the way out. Do what's good for you and live under pastoral authority in a way that brings them joy. Pastors who are seeking to obey God and serve their people will carry in their hearts and minds the victories of their people and the struggles of their people. They will rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep. They will pray with you and for you. They will cry when you run from God. They will be righteously angry when you disobey and are stiff-necked. They will have joys and they will groan. So congregation, my charge to you, remember that you will never fulfill this perfectly. You will never be perfect sheep. Your shepherds, your under-shepherds will never be perfect shepherds. And as you, you as sheep will never be perfect sheep. So even here as sheep, we look to the one who was perfect. Trust in the perfect submission and obedience of someone else, Jesus Christ. Be motivated for your own submission and obedience because of his. Notice here, the end of the chapter, verses 20 and 21. I'm moving into my conclusion. It's going to be a few minutes, okay? So a lot of times when a pastor says, you know, in conclusion, you know, it's 20 more minutes. 
Probably won't be 20 more minutes, but I'm moving toward my conclusion. Verses 20 and 21 say this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great what? Shepherd of the sheep. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, May he equip you with every good, everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You want to talk about gospel hope and good news motivation? I've just said, under shepherds, you have to do these things. You have to live this way. People are going to be watching you. Read your Bible. Rah, rah, rah. Law, law, law. Scary, scary, scary. And you're going to fail. But remember, the great shepherd of the sheep will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Sheep, I've just told you, live under authority. That, That is not a politically correct thing to say. No one likes hearing anyone tell them to live under authority. The word of God just makes it clear. I wouldn't say it if God didn't say it. And yet for you, it says this to you. That God will equip you with everything good so that you may do his will. That his work is working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So as shepherds and as sheep, we look to the perfect one as both our example and as the one who accomplished the thing that we're working to accomplish. Jesus Christ is the perfect um, shepherd. Jesus Christ is the perfect submitter. He submitted to the will of his Father. So both for the shepherds and the sheep, there is a charge in this passage, but both for the shepherds and the sheep, there is gospel hope in this passage. The good shepherd, remember the main point at the the very beginning, I put up on the screen, the main point is that the good shepherd loves his sheep. This is how we see in this passage that the good shepherd loves his sheep. Verses 20 and 21 give us this incredible gospel hope at the conclusion of how God has said, look, obey those who have the rule over you. Shepherds speak the word of God into their life, live in such a way that you can be an example. We see that the good shepherd loves his sheep because his love has provided instruction and care for both the under-shepherds and the sheep. In just a moment, I'm going to call Will up, and then I'm going to call Matt up, and they've each prepared just a few comments for them to share with you. I, I haven't read them. I don't know what they're going to say. We've talked just about some ideas of what they might share here this morning, but I've given them each, I told them each to limit it to about an hour and a half per person. And uh, so they're going to come up and share a few words. But let me, let me close this part of the service in prayer, and then we'll, just as soon as I'm done praying, brother, you come on up. Jesus, thank you for being the perfect under-shepherd, or the perfect shepherd of the sheep. And thank you for modeling for us sheep what it is to follow and submit ourselves to authority. Father, I pray for Will and Matt that they would under-shepherd wisely and well. I pray for the congregation that they would follow wisely and well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
called me up first so they can be here. Um, I struggled over this statement. It's easier to preach because you've got a text laid out. You can preach what's in the text. And it, it, but this is this has to be articulated. <coughs> Jeremy said he wanted us to make a statement saying, "Give your sense of calling, your uh, desire for liberty." And you know, it's it's not necessarily good enough to say, "Well, it's this way." That a lot of the things that we do here, we do it. Well, that that's what liberty is a working church. And uh, most of this building is built by people of liberty. You have a work day, you show up, that's what you do. And that's something I love about liberty is, is that um, if you're going to teach classes or if you're going to have a conference or something, yeah, I might make it, might not, but let's fill the crop for VBS and show up and get to work. And I, However, this is something that has to be articulated. And I've, um, I've stressed over it, as small as it is, but bear with me. Um, the, uh, the two things that I would say that I desire for liberty are two things that I desire for myself. One is sanctification, and the other is a heart attack seriousness for the things of God, for the glory of God. <coughs> sanctification the, is the churchy word you hear those words and you turn your mind off because it's what someone in a pulpit is supposed to be saying. And it is changing to be more like Christ. If you look at the qualifications of an elder or of a deacon, it's, it's to be above reproach. It's really nothing except for the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you. It's not dif- different than what is called for in a regular Christian. If God is in you, there will be proof of God in you. You will become sanctified. I want to see a a seriousness for the things of God in liberty. Um, We lack that heavily in our culture. Uh, We, the mentality that, well, we'll go to church, be around people in church if we have time. If not, it's fine. Go to the lake go to the cabin or, or something like that absolutely does not that mentality absolutely does not reflect the gravity of the work of God or the character of God um, I, d- I desire to see a seriousness and a, and a pleasure in the glory of God as far as a sense of calling it runs along the same lines as a teenager growing up as a good kid in church in liberty um, I came to the realization that my entire belief system could absolutely be a joke. And I could see that no matter how much dogma I had in it, it was entirely possible that it could be a, just a total farce. Because I'd seen crowds of people and in my, myself follow religion blindly out of habit, out of tradition, or even fear. And inevitably, you would see people fall away in droves. There's not a half a dozen people here. There's, there's maybe people here that I recognize 
from when I was younger. And part of that is just the nature of Dalhart. We cycle in and out of our jobs. But there are a lot of people just just don't stay and don't stay fundamentally with the things of God. And I could see how you could get by. You could fake just enough righteousness to get by with identity of Christianity. And I could see people, even in my own church, predominantly unchanged by what they claim to believe about God. And worse than anything, I could see that in my own life. How it was going to be very easy to set up that infrastructure and just live in it, kind of covered by my dogma. And, well, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. I go to church. Without that, the seriousness of the gravity of the glory of God. This, this uh, realization triggered a change that led me to the path that I'm on today. I endeavor, have endeavored, to take the reality of God very seriously. And I'm changed by the reality of God. What that means is whenever I go through anything, a serious loss, a heavy humiliation, or an unbelievable blessing, I must see it through the lens of who God is. That is the God who is working to his highest glory, which is my highest good no matter what the situation feels like. As an example, um, I'm going to reach back into some writings that genetically... Um, My mother, there's not eight people here, or maybe eight, not a half a dozen here as well. She played the piano here forever, or here at Liberty when we were in the other building on the other side of town. Um, this auditorium is, in fact, dedicated in her memory. Um, she died in 98 of cancer. And before she died, our pastor at the time, Johnny, asked her to write out her testimony. There's a portion of it, a small portion of it on a plaque back there. But she wrote, and even this is a paraphrase of the quote, I have found more satisfaction in my walk, walk with God with cancer than I ever had after she realized that she was going to die of cancer, you know, she had to really work through it in her mind. And she said, I, I came to the realization, we were young. Uh, my oldest brother was 15. Uh, my sister a couple years older than me. I was 11. My youngest sister, 7. She said, I had to come to the realization that God loves my children more than I do. And this, that she'd found more satisfaction in the walk with God in this suffering than she'd even had before. There is something to holding on to God and nothing else that is more satisfying than having both hands full of the world. What I desire to do at Liberty is to communicate that glory from God's Word. I want to see a desire for the glory of God and a corresponding pleasure in God that makes the heaviest sufferings and losses, as Paul calls it, a light momentary affliction. 
This is the only perspective, the only meat that gives any human alive any lasting satisfaction or any measure of peace in our short and difficult lives. And um, as Matt and Jeremy, who Matt's pretty well trained in preaching, he tells me you need to have more structure thoughts out occasionally, and, and he's right. But Liberty, but um, L- Lydia tells me that whenever you really love someone, you desperately want them to know you get your messages out. So in light of that, I desire to love the people of Liberty more and better in order to communicate this glory of Church, if that doesn't encourage you, uh, I don't have much to say. Um, uh, I, I want to say thank you, first of all. Uh, the the weight of the first part of Jeremy's sermon was, uh, man, I felt it. I very much felt it. That I will stand before God, give an account for your spiritual growth. Um, and that's not something to be taken lightly. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I worked for Rod Bollander this room know Rod, they know him here, but I wrestled at that point in my life with what's God calling me to do, I love to farm, I love to be outside and work with my hands, but at the same time, I always felt like there was something in me that God was calling to use, to do more, I remember talking with Rod, and I asked Rod once, I said, Rod, what do you, what do you think about guys that go into ministry, and Rod said, they're crazy, and uh, it, from, from Jeremy's first part of his sermon, you would have to agree, because who, who, who wants to have that responsibility? And I, I even remember growing up, Dad would talk, to my, my brother's a worship pastor, Dad would talk and say, the people who go into ministry, they're one of two things. They're either called or they're crazy. And so, so in my whole life, I've always kind of had this, this thought process of, man, if, if God is calling me to do this, then there must be something wrong with me, maybe. Uh, on the flip side, if God's calling me to do this, then the weight of this is real. And so I, I wasn't ever sure how that would flesh out. Uh, I went to seminary after college thinking that God was calling me into full-time vocational ministry. But even in the midst of that, I never felt fully settled that full-time vocational ministry is what God had for me. And I told Jeremy the other day, I was sitting down reading uh, a book by uh, Charles Spurgeon called Lectures to His Students. And he said, if there's anything else you can do other than full-time vocational ministry, go do it. And I could do it. I I love to farm. I love to do that. But at the same time, it never fully sat never really felt like I was doing what God had fully called me to do. And so I didn't go into full-time ministry. Remember I called my brother and I asked him, I said, Jim, what do I do? What, what's your input on this? And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I think it was Augustine. He said, love God and do what you want. So what do you want to do? He said, well, I want to farm and I want to pastor a church. He said, that's not possible. So God in his kindness and in his grace has given an opportunity for me to do something uh, that I've always wanted. And um, so, so I enter into this joyfully, uh, ex- exciting, even feeling the affirmation of God in my life, of what I feel like even back since my high school days, having grown up, uh, is, is calling me to do. Um, and so, so there's a sense of my call. I think that's where God is, is leading me, and that's why God has me here. On the flip side, um, Will said this much more elaborately. I'm going to steal a phrase from Piper, and this is actually going to be part of our our class tonight. Uh, Speaking to preaching, um, I'm going to have to look it up. 
Piper says that the goal of preaching, and I would even go so far as to say that the goal of pastoring is that is that it is the glory of God in Christ reflected in the glad submission of his creation. Church, my desire, as is Will's, as is Jeremy's, is that God would be glorified and that we would give you and that we would see God in such a glorious picture that we would gladly submit to him. Because we can submit in one of two ways. We, submission occurs either begrudgingly, as when our wife says, take out the trash, and you don't want to do it, but you do it anyways. That's, that, that's submission, but the glory of God is not fully seen in that. The glory of God is fully seen when we gladly submit because we see the glory of him and we see that it is worth everything. So church, my desire for you is that you would behold the glory of God. You would behold him in the way that we communicate the word of God. From Jeremy's sermon, that you would behold the glory of God in the way we live our lives. Both in the way that we fail and in the way we succeed. And I pray that in all those things, you would behold Jesus. So I, from this point forward, am, am committing and desiring to know you more and to seeing, as Jeremy said, your growth in Christ every day. As I was reading through the book uh, that we're going to read through, he quotes Colossians 1, and this has been my prayer for you the past few weeks, and I'm committing to pray this for you for the rest of my time here, however long that may be. Paul and Timothy pray for the church in Colossians, and they pray this. They pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So I'm praying that you would know God. You would know who he is and what he has for you. Why? I'm praying to do so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There's that glad submission. You would walk in a way that honors him because you love him and you see what he has called you to be and who he's created you to be. So I, I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of him because you know him, fully pleasing to him, that you would bear fruit in every good work. Church, I don't just want you to know God. I want your knowledge of him to result in fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of seeing you grow, and the fruit of bringing others into the family of Christ. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, when we grow in our knowledge of God, we do what he calls us to do. And when we actually do what we're supposed to do, we even grow more in our knowledge of God. You really learn something by doing something. So I'm praying that you would increase in the knowledge of God. And then I'm praying that you would be strengthened with all power. All power. Church, this walk is not something that we do on our own. It is something that is given to us and empowered by the Holy Spirit. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Church, my desire for you, my desire for me, is that we would have such a grand picture of who God is, of who he's called this church to be, that it would be even more than we can comprehend or imagine, and that as we catch hold of the vision of God, that we would grow in our love for him, our understanding for him, our love for others, and church, that we would leave this place filled with his power, with endurance and patience and joy, so, as Will said, 
Our desire for you is to know the glory of God and to live in glad submission to him because that's who he's made us to be. That's what honors him and glorifies him. Obviously, hopefully, you can see that we can't do this um, arrogantly. We don't walk into this position pridefully. Uh, we don't, <laughs> Jeremy asked me why I wanted to do this, and I jokingly said, well, for power. Come on, there's, there's not a power given like this. Th- what, what the role and the responsibility that we have is, is one of huge, huge magnitude. Um, it is something that we are unable and incapable to do in and of our own power. Yet he has chosen broken jars of clay to carry the message of his glory. Broken jars of clay pointing you to the glory of God the Father. So, you can expect from us to know you. You can expect from us a desire for you to know God more than you do him. You can expect from us an expectation of you that you would grow, that you would bear fruit, because that's who God made you to be. That's who God called you to be. So pray for us, because we are broken jars of clay. We are young men who haven't experienced a lot of life. And the authority that we have is not an authority, honestly, honestly, it's not an authority that you have given to us. This is our authority. It is this book. This is all we have, and this is what we want to give to you, is a bigger picture of who God is. So, that's, that's what we have. Well, come on back up here. Matt, you just stay put for a second. Um, I know you've got family and friends that have gathered here today, and I know there's one very proud grandmother watching um, online uh, here this morning. Um, you guys, um, actually, both of you stand over here if you don't mind, and then I'll, I'll get, get back to you in just a second. Years ago, Pastor Brian Pate and I began praying that God would raise up here at Liberty men who would lead and serve as pastors here, as lay pastors here, lay elders called men, men who are called of God, uh, men whose lives are, uh, have the character that God demands in First Timothy and in Titus, men who have ministry competence, men who have the ability to take the word of God and explain it and teach it to other people, and men who have biblical conviction, whose hearts and minds are grounded and founded on the word of God. And God has answered that prayer. Um, and so our good and faithful God um, has done this. And one of the things that I love is that even talking with these guys, I think it was Matt who we were talking um, just the other day, and he said, I'm, I'm ready to start looking into the people of liberty to find out who's next. Like, who, who else is God raising up to be the next generation of pastors, whether at this church or launched out into the kingdom of God? But that's the heart of a pastor is to be looking, how's everybody growing? And where's the next generation? And who are we going to be raising up to take? And so I praise God. I praise God for that. Lord willing, this is the last time at Liberty Baptist where one pastor ordains pastors, that in the future there would be multiple pastors ordaining another man or men to ministry. What I'm getting ready to do here this morning is not a ceremony that I have made up. There's nothing magical that happens when men kneel and I lay hands. There's not, you're not going to feel any like, you know, electric stuff happening. No, no, you're not going to get slain. If it happens, I, I didn't do it. Um, 
I am going to lay hands on them, and it's a, it's a, it's a part of um, a custom that's been part of Christianity literally since the Bible. Three times in 1 Timothy, Paul talks to Timothy about laying hands on them. Um, throughout Scripture, it's been a way to acknowledge and to consecrate men for ministry. And so 1 Timothy says, don't be quick to do this. Everyone in here knows we have not been quick <laughs> to do this. The only problem has been uh, how slowly I tend to move on uh, almost everything. These men are stepping into a role in which they will have a bullseye on their back that only gets bigger today. So church, you pray for them. And so I'm going to pray for them here now. Uh, and then after I pray, we're going to, uh, I'll, I'll read a short passage of scripture. We'll sing a very, the doxology together. And then I'm actually going to ask you to grab your wives. And if you need to farm your kids out and y'all go in the lobby so that our congregation can come through and give you a hug and uh, shake, your hand, shake your hands, that sort of thing. So brothers, if you'd kneel here, I'm going to pray for you. Father, this is 100% your doing. I did not call these men. I did not give them character. I did not give them competence. I did not give them conviction. This is something that you have done, and we as a church are the incredible recipients of your kindness and your grace and your goodness to us. We feel, I as a pastor and we as a congregation, feel your kindness and your goodness and your gifting to us here this morning. We see it. We see it in tangible form as these two men kneel and consecrate themselves to you and to your service and to your church. I pray for them individually as Christians, that they will walk with you, that they will be men who see your face and are transfixed by it, that they would love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love them by convicting them of sin. Love them by encouraging them with the nearness of your presence. God, I pray for them as men who walk before you that they would not be afraid because they see your face. Give them wisdom, give them humility, give them endurance, give them integrity. Father, I pray for their relationship with their wives. So many of your soldiers and shepherds have fallen through the years because they've sinned in their moral purity. Father, I pray that these men would remain morally pure. Give them just uh, wonderful relationships with their wives. Keep them close to each other. Father, I pray that they would husband well, that they would father well. God, I pray that they would lead their wives and their children with service like Jesus led. Lord, that their wives and their children would feel the love of their dad and of their husbands. Father, I pray that, that you would do this in them. None of us can do this without your strength and without your help. Father, I pray for their role as shepherds, under shepherds in this congregation, Lord, that you would help them to speak your word, that you would help them to live lives that are exemplary. Father, I pray that you would help them to watch carefully over the congregation here. Give them strength to do these things, Father. For their role in our community, Lord, as people from outside Liberty are looking in at this weird thing that Liberty's doing where they're taking a farmer and a cowboy and they're making them pastors. Father, I pray that they would see the biblical faithfulness in what you're doing here at Liberty. And I pray that these men would be used in this community to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into more and more lives, not just in this church, but outside the doors of this church as well. 
Father, we commit them to you. They are yours. God, I pray that you would use them for many, many years to come. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Don't run off. I was going to, I'm a hugger. I mean, you got to give me a hug. I love you. I love you. Let's all stand. You grab your wives and go to the lobby, brothers. The end of the passage that we were looking at this morning says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, He's the great shepherd of the sheep. Leave, your, leave here this morning with your eyes on him. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip with you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing together.